Recording in progress. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Soul Life Podcast. Uh, my name is Shirley Fruchter, and I am very humbled and honored to be welcoming Dr. Erica Brown on this episode to speak with me about leadership. Dr. Erica Brown, I think personally, is someone who I am obsessed with all of her work. She really stands, I think, in the center between so many different worlds with academia, Jewish spirituality, Jewish faith, and so many other different lenses and realms, and is just holding all the chains together. So it's really an honor to have her on the podcast and to, to speak with her today. So Dr. Erica Brown, or uh, she asked me to call her Erica, so I will try and, I'll try and do so. She's a director of the Mayberg Center for Jewish Education and Leadership and an associate professor of curriculum and, and pedagogy at the George Washington University. And she's the author of 12 books on leadership, the Hebrew Bible and spirituality. Erica has a daily podcast, Take Your Soul to Work. Her latest book, Esther, Power, Fate and Fragility in Exile, was a finalist for the National Jewish Book Council Award. She's been published in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Tablet, First Things in the Jewish Review of Books, and wrote a monthly column for the New York Jewish Week. She has blogged for Psychology Today, Newsweek, Washington Post, on Faith, and JTA, and she's tweeted on one page of Talmud a day, uh, of study a day, at Dr. Erica Brown on Twitter. She has a master's degree from the Institute of Education at University of London, Jews College University of London, and Harvard University, and a PhD from Baltimore Hebrew University. Erica was a Jerusalem Fellow, is a faculty member of the Wexner Foundation, an, an Avchai Fellow, and the recipient of the 2009 Covenant Award for her work in education. She previously served as a scholar in residence at both the Jewish Federation of Greater Washington and the Combined Jewish Philanthropies of Boston and as a community scholar of the Jewish Center of New York. Currently, she is serving as a community scholar for Congregation Eitzchheim in Livingston, New Jersey. So I think that is just scratching the surface of all Dr. Erica is going to be able to speak with us today. But with that, thank you so much for joining us. I'm very excited to speak with you today about leadership and see how that applies to us individually, personally as people, but also on a more global level when we look at politics in our country, internationally, in organizations, and at so many different spheres. And to start off, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts because I know it's a classic question people like to sometimes entertain, but we don't really have an idea or an agreed upon idea of what does it mean to be a leader? What is, when we say someone's a leader, what do we mean by that? And I'm curious to hear uh, to your hear your thoughts. Well, thank you. It's really, it's a delight to be with you. So thank you so much for making the time to speak with me today. Um, you know, you've asked one of the classic questions in leadership. Uh, Peter Drucker, who was an expert in leadership and wrote many, I would say, foundational books in the discipline of organizational leadership, defines a leader as someone who has followers. Um, that doesn't deal with the moral quality of leadership, right? We could certainly look at a Stalin, a Lenin, a Hitler, and see that there were followers, that people in tyrannical regimes um, in, um, you know, are, are, are led by people and they, and they follow. Uh, boy, do they follow. Uh, but they, they I, think, I think all of us would have certain qualms about that kind of leadership. I think, I, I think that when you, from a Jewish perspective, uh, I'll, I'll say from a Tanakhi perspective, it's very hard to have any Jewish perspective on anything because thank goodness we're, we're from a faith where a lot of different um, opinions can fall within uh, a, a, an acceptable uh, range within, within one's um, religious commitments. But I would say from a Tanakh perspective, all power-based leadership is called into question. Right, you have the notion of a prophet. Right, if you, you look at the basic four main categories of leaders, um, you have the navi, the prophet. You have the shofet, the I will say a military leader. 
you have a Kohen, a religious leader, and you have a Melech, um, you have a king. And yet throughout Tanakh, you also have examples of people who fail in those models. And there's no one model, and there's no one model without problems, right? So whether we can cite chapter and verse of stories about king's misbehavior. In fact, if you look at Divrayim and Aleph and Bet, the first and second book of Chronicles, it's sort of, you know, the good king and then there's, and he went bad. And there's a bad king and he went good, but then he went bad again. And it was, it's, it's, it's almost as if there's a record of the ways in which power is abused. And I think um, certainly from a faith perspective, we believe that there's only one king and that we're just here to sort of share in a collaborative way um, responsibilities rather than, and, and use influence rather than power as a way to create relationships. People need to be led. And that's part of, I think when you ask them, what is a leader? A leader is someone who makes decisions on behalf of others for the sake of others. And that's what I think is a qual is a moral, adds a moral dimension to leadership. If I'm making decisions that are for me alone, um, then um, then there may be moral breaches that come along with that as, as, as I think about you and the way you can serve me best. Um, there's a whole school of leadership developed by Robert Greenleaf um, in the late 60s and 70s, uh, servant leadership, I'm here to serve. How does my notion of service, which I think is, is inherently Jewish, uh, so it wasn't really from the 70s, it was, you know, it was like thousands <laughs> of years old, um, of, of people saying, my job is to be an Eved, my job is to serve others uh, or serve God. And, um, and I do so without comfort. And it's mm -hmm. uncomfortable for me to use my authority. Mm. Um, and I think that's, um, can I share one example? I'm yeah, definitely, I'd, I'd um, love to hear. I, um, I don't know this to be true, I've read it. So I just want to say that reading something doesn't mean that it's true. But when, but the Amish break up into groups of 200, and it was their congregation, they keep their congregations relatively small. And when they seek a leader for their faith community, um, they pass around a Bible with the name of who they think should be the leader. And then they tabulate how many people get nominated more than once. Um, the appropriate response is to read your name, and when you're called to lead, it's to cry. Wow. I think that says a lot about what it means to be a servant, to be responsible, to understand that there's a moral dimension of leadership and responsibility to, to others, and that it's, it's not comfortable or easy. We know that from Moshe. That's really amazing. And I think even the first thing that you mentioned, just that distinction between the technicality of a leader is just having followers, but also that sometimes we conflate this idea that we have one idea of what a leader is. And if you fulfill either quality, either the moral lens or you fulfill the, the qualifications of having followers, then you're just a leader. But when we speak about what a leader is, we don't really mean that first one. So it's a really important distinction to have to begin with. I think even that other, the how you branch that out and you're speaking about with Moshe, that's a, an, an amazing example of that if you want so badly to be the leader, you're probably not suit to be that leader. And exactly it's, so. it's that resistance in a way that is what grants someone that, which is fascinating. So I'm curious in, in your experience, have you ever 
encountered that difficulty either through personally or through people you've worked with or seen of someone who has the skills to be a leader but doesn't know how to wield them properly or is not in that space to open themselves up to leadership because in a way it's this it's this cycle or this pyramid where it ends with god it ends with hashem because you know he's the leader who, who doesn't need a leader to serve but every leader is really a follower of someone else either a follower of the collective either a follower of god or a follower of something else yeah, I, there's so uh, it's such an excellent question, and there's so many layers to that question, um, in terms of how you how you have sort of distributive and collaborative leadership, so that because you need leadership, but you want to avoid the abuses of leadership. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've noticed in my experience, and also as a as a as a, as a reader and student of Tanakh, is that you can take someone who's a perfectly good servant and give that person a position of leadership and then they become abusive in their leadership if only to maintain power um it's that business thing where the i forget what it's called where they go up to until their level of competency and they go above it and they just stay there the peter principle yeah Um, (laughs) uh, you know you've 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 gone beyond your level of competence um you know when you take a character like shaul who's so so fascinating from a leadership perspective and a lot of teaching and thinking and writing about shaul um here you have someone who did not want this job who is basically hiding behind the luggage to avoid his own inauguration right Mm. he had lost the donkeys he was shepherding so shepherding becomes a very important leadership metaphor uh, throughout Tanakh, every important leader has has occupied that position of a shepherd, and I think it's a very compelling metaphor because the shepherd cannot talk to the sheep but must lead them. The shepherd mm. has to think far ahead of the flock to make sure that he can provide for them, has to protect the stragglers, has to stand from behind, mm. is actually in Scotland watching people shepherd. And it's to- the leadership model is not you're standing in the front. If you're standing in the front and you turn around, your sheep are gone, right? So you've got to be in the back, you know, just keeping everyone moving in and advancing. And you have to pay attention to the weather and conditions and the terrain. So here you have Shaul, who's a shepherd, but he actually has lost his donkeys. He's not shepherding sheep. I'm not going to use the other translation for donkey, but I think Tanakh certainly implies that. Um, he can't he can't keep them together. And yet, once he gets in a position of power, um, being a military leader is important to him, being successful. The envy that he has towards David HaMelech, right, towards King David, who gets all the accolades and the praise and then is ready to kill his son-in-law as a result of not being able to figure out his place. And there's a whole other layer of his own melancholy behavior um, that, that you put in that. And I, I think it, does, it is scary because people, we see this all the time with scandal and not, you know, I, I, th- I think that's part of leadership we have to discuss is people go into this for the right reasons Mm -hmm. ego takes over Mm. and then if you're not vigilant and if you don't get the feedback that you need you become a victim of everything that you did not stand for Mm. so daniel goleman and two co-authors wrote a book uh published by harvard business press called primal leadership and just to summarize one of their ideas the more senior leader gets the more feedback a leader needs, the less feedback a leader gets. Wow. Wow. It's almost as if the system is built in a way that it's not meant to sustain top leaders. 
No, because people, you know, become uh, become very uh, senior, and then people don't want to say they don't want to. You know, you look at the uh, celebrity leaders and athletes and politicians. My goodness, so you know they went into this for all the right reasons, but you know, ten, twenty years, lots of celebrity later. Where you feel like I surround myself with yes people. There's no team of rivals, right? It's not the Lincoln team of rivals. It's all the people who don't want to tarnish your star and they don't want to change the relationship or they don't want to get fired. So they don't say to you, your your behavior is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. The things that you've said are abusive. Um, you know, ter- in terms of sexual harassment, you know, it's people get protected. Wow. Right? They get- protected um and 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 they enable they enable bad behavior so that's on us right we we elect people mm-hmm. um we support people we turn a blind eye to other people's mistakes uh jim um jim collins um in his book good to great has an expression it's really really critical for leadership uh, he calls it calls it the liability of charisma right everyone wow. loves the charismatic leader there's a lot of liability to charisma. Wow. We don't we don't think about it, right? We take we 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 want to search for the new CEO, the new headmaster, the new director, and he shouldn't be someone from the inside. He should be someone from the outside. And often we don't that person is not adjusted in the culture, does is not invested in the people in the same way, and um, it's just easier for abuses to happen. Uh, and that's we do that to ourselves, right? It's wow. Really like we it's want self-sabotaging. Yeah, we want the charismatic leader. Um, and we'd rather have a bad leader than a good leader. Look at Marion Barry, who was a mayor here for many, many years in Washington. And even after he was found guilty of any number of crimes and misdemeanors, he, still, he was still elected. You can't blame him for taking advantage. You have to blame yourself for putting wow. him back. So there are almost as if there, it's really there are three like layers even to this whole destructive process there's the the voting process of who do we choose or elect as leaders there's the leader with their own individual self struggling to make those choices and then the leader once their ego gets the best of them it's they set up all these barricades to keep anyone else out from interfering so first they struggle with themselves and then afterwards they're fighting everyone else and other people have their own interests some justifiable some that are make more difficult of, you know, it's my boss. How do I tell them that this is sexual harassment? How do I stand up for myself? How do I risk my whole financial means when there's a powerful man, right? We've seen, we've seen with Governor Cuomo most recently that yeah. is abusing to an extent where people knew and people were affected. But it's it's scary because how do I protect myself, but in the process, make sure I don't hurt myself also when you take on the leader. And I guess it's that same thing you're speaking with, the liability of charisma, even the liability of leadership in a way, that to have the leader who's paraded and who's heralded as as the one who's going to help us to be our, our savior, so to speak, then in that same way, who am I to take them on? What do I right. have in my backpack? Right, correct. And one of the things that's so interesting to me, really is that you might not be a leader in the sense of being a public figure. Uh, you may, as a volunteer, for example, mm. uh, I, I often ask people when I'm working with them in leadership, where do you handle conflict best? In your volunteer commitments, in your professional commitments, or in your family? And the answers are endlessly fascinating. Wow. They're, you know, people are different. Great field. And, right. A lot of people will be able to exercise leadership in a volunteer capacity, but not in their own home. And sometimes you'll see people, this might be the president of a synagogue or a community center, and they 
And because they don't have power in other arenas in their lives, they have to exert it as a volunteer. And it can be very, very unpleasant to work with people in that capacity. Um, You know, we all have ego needs. Some people exert them more than others. And then they can't get what their ego needs in a particular realm. So they try it somewhere else. Um, And it can be very destructive. It's very destructive in parent-child relationships where a parent wants to lead and is unable to lead within, let's say, in in their career capacity, and then puts yira, puts real fear in in their own household. Um, These are extreme cases. Uh, I don't think that you can lead without without a recognition of your own ego needs, right? Of being able to say, what is my ego need in this moment? How do I, how am I vigilant in controlling it? Who do I put in place around me who keeps me honest and true? Wow. And then even, I think, as you brought it down to the individual and in our personal lives, we see that leadership isn't only the head of this company or the president or someone working in a country state. It's really anyone who has influence anyone who has followers a parent you could be a volunteer you can have some sort of contribution where you are then tasked to take a role and to direct others to guide them and it can work on a smaller or large scale but the challenges in a way i guess the challenges are the same but the level of difficulty you know you raise the bar you raise you raise the challenge right or you raise the number of people that you have to manage Mm -hmm. right i have four children i can barely manage um, but, you know, there are people who are managing companies with several thousand or ten thousands, right? Or you're, or you're managing your governor or mayor. You're, you know, you're responsible for, for many, many more people. Um, so I think that does also change the dynamic. But when we talk about the difference between, let's say, power and influence, I'll just give a simple example. If you're a parent, you can try to persuade your child to do something or, you know, use your influence or you can role model mm-hmm. or you can say you need to do this because I'm the mom, When you're saying you need to do this because I'm the mayor, I'm the president, I'm the boss, as opposed to I'm giving you a reason that you have to do it, I'm asserting hierarchically my power over you in a non-collaborative, non-distributive way. And, um, and, and, you know, people fall in love with their own power um, and they like the feeling, look, uh, you know, when I tell my Alexa to to hmm. put on the news, it's very powerful because something listens to me and, and the news comes on. Right. <laughs> um, and I, I think people like that feeling of saying, I want something to happen and I'll make it happen. And part of that, to be positive about it, part of that is our expression of of being created by Tzalem Elohim is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said things and made them happen, right? As HaKadosh Baruch Hu put things in the world through the act of speech and creation and creativity. And so, on, you know, while we've been negative about some, about some aspects of leadership, I don't want to forget the possibility of creating things ex nihilo, of building things, of, of, um, of taking people to places that they didn't think that they were going to go. Great leaders. You know, it just came back from Israel. Every, I mean, everything. Just the the buildings. I went to I went to Ben Gurion's Trif, his small home in um, 
in state Beaucaire. And, you know, you think about the vision that he had for the country. You think about someone who, you know, the, 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 the reading and the depth and the decision-making. Uh, why do leaders get paid more, have more status? They're making decisions, really, that you and I don't want to make mm. because they're going to take the blame um, and, and likely not get the credit that, um, that, that they deserve. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to this, and I don't want to minimize the positive sides of it either. No, definitely. And, and I think going towards that positive lens and looking at the benefits, I love that even that idea of where this drive for leadership comes in, because I think generally we have an idea. Most people aren't saying, I just want to be like at average. Everyone has an idea. I want to be the top. I want to be the best. I want to be the, the ringleader in any single sense. Um, and realistically, that's just not possible because there are only so many leadership positions that people can dream of. There's only so many CEOs. There are only so many partners. There are only so many presidents or leaders in foreign policy or in politics. So to see that that comes from a place where it's actually the soul trying to express a positive message of trying to create or to design or to build from from nothing to take and yeah. make, which is really, really fascinating. Well, so I, I mean, we didn't we didn't talk about prophetic leadership, which is. Mm something I'm very, very interested in. And I think prophetic leadership is the type of spiritual leadership that we need in this moment that we don't have, which is, you know, the prophet is the one who looks at society, who looks at the ills in society, is not, does not care about status. In fact, suffers from very low status generally, if you're looking biblically. And, and yet there's a certain moral voice of what does it mean to take care of, to steward the planet, to take care of the widow and the orphan, to fight injustice mm. with all that you have. Um, you know, I don't have to tell you that we're, we're in a very, we're in very tense political moment. We're in a tense climatological moment. We're in a tense, you know, international moment with everything going on and you can fill in the blank and multiple blanks and you say who's going to take care of that who's going to who's going to name who's going to be the truth teller who's going to name what's going on who's going to marshal resources to fight the good fight mm. and um yeah i think i think that's that's what's called for but if you think to yourself who's a modern day prophet who i trust Whose voice would I listen to? Who would I go through fire for? It's going to be a short list, probably. Wow. That's, that's it's a really good point to even think that then leadership breaks off into different categories of the, the truth teller, you have the political leader, you have the organizational leader or the familial yeah. leader, and in so many different camps. So then how can we, I guess, start to channel that in our lives? Meaning, wh where is that first step beginning to, I think, first identify which areas in our lives First, we want to be leaders in, and then we actually can be leaders in. And then once we have those fields identified and marked, how do we excel in them? How do how does one find out or build themselves to that place where or take their soul their soul to work, so that they can allow their light to shine through in that capacity, so that they can say, I so don't want to be the person who's the truth teller, but I think that's exactly why I need to be the one to call it out, or I don't want to run for that position but I don't see anyone else who's trying to do the work that I think needs to be done. So it falls on me or in my family. I don't want to be the one who's going to try and push people to, to grow in this way or to move forward in their lives in that way, but no one else is saying it. So it seems like if I'm aware of it, maybe that's, maybe that's my burden, so to speak. Right. Uh, I mean, I think all of the above is true and all of the above is challenging and different moments call for different, the exercise of different kinds of leadership. There's leadership within a family. Uh, you've identified stepping into a breach when no one else will step in. 
um, that's, you know, that's, that's the sort of call of obligation. And, you know, when you look at Yeshayahu, a paragraph of Pasuk uh, Ched, you know, you know, Hineni Shalacheni, here I am, send me. Sometimes you hear the call and you say, how can I not sign on for this, right? Why am I the one who says no? I, I need to say yes. Uh, but the but the other piece of this is it's not only identifying what's missing and putting yourself there. It's also imagining a world that other people can't imagine. Mm. So I always, and I don't know who said this, so if you or anyone else knows, <laughs> uh, you'll let me know. Only those who see the invisible can do the impossible. So wow. there are people who can see who can imagine a world that is more just. Or Only those who can see the invisible can do the impossible. Yeah. That, that belongs so, on everyone's fridge. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and, you know, on the one hand, you say that sets up a really, really high bar. Um, you know, what could I imagine that um, that is needed right now? And the fact that it doesn't exist right now doesn't bother me because I'm tapping into my godliness and that is what a Karsh Baruch Hu did in the universe. So in a way, you have in Sefer Breshit and Sefer Shmod, in the beginning of both Sfarim, two different models of leadership. In Sefer Shmod, you have injustice, right? And the injustice is baked into society. And then there's going to be the truth teller, the fighter, the leader, the agitator, and he's going to take the people out. That's the, that's the type of um, leadership you're talking about. There's a breach, there's no one else to do it, there's a problem and someone has to fix it. But then when you go all the way back to say for Breshid, there's a world of chaos and someone says, I can put, right? God says, I can put order to this chaos and I can imagine something existing that hasn't been here before. There's a canvas and it's blank. Hmm. That's not a response to injustice, yeah. right? That's a different kind of creative uh, leadership. And sometimes we just use this term leadership to refer to everything. And um, and when we do that, and I understand the tendency to do that, um, I think we sort of minimize the power or we think about it as only political. We minimize the, the gift of what it could be and also asking ourselves, do I need to respond in a particular situation or do I need to create in a particular situation? Mm. And you ask, you know, well, what can we do? I think the most important thing we can do is keep our eyes wide open. When you look at Moshe, Moshe had unbelievable eyesight. He sees injustice. He also sees a snit and an ukali, he sees a bush. And so he sees not only injustice, but he sees wonder. And that combination to me is the height of what spiritual leadership is, is to be able to look open-eyed, wide-eyed at injustice and to also look at wonder, right? There are people fighting the, you know, they're fighting against, they're protesting against everything, but they don't have the capacity to see wonder. And when Moshe was taken from us at 120 in Tavaram Lama Dalit, his eyesight was still intact. Mm. Right? So the vision is there. And that we all, thank God, have the capacity for is to look at things that other people don't want to see. Um, for, you know, whether they're whether they're good or bad, the potential or the damage, we have the capacity to see. And then once you see, then the question is, what are you going to do? Mm. But if your eyes are closed, you can't even see what there is to do. That's beautiful. I remember there was a, a talk you were giving. I forget where uh, you were speaking about when Jacob or Jacob was um, by his his father-in-law, and he was working there for so many years. 
and he had two dreams. The one we classically know is right at, right when he was leaving uh, Israel, he dreamt of the angels and of the godliness and of all this majesty and grandeur. And then fast forward many years later, and he was dreaming of sheep and of the market and of so many mundane things. And you had a, a line that really stuck with me. And I remember I tell everyone to this day is that when you are, and I think it was in relation to when you need to be in, in Israel or when you need to be in, in outside of the land and related to big mind, big dreams, small mind, small dreams. And what are you dreaming about and being that visionary? So I'm curious also to hear your thoughts on towing that line between progress and perfection. How do you navigate ideals that are so far beyond it's actually unhelpful to have that type of vision because people aren't there yet and it can actually be distracting or discouraging when you're imagining a society where there is no abuse of power or there's no harassment or there's no injustice or discrimination or any of these things or there's collaboration and there's love and there's camaraderie and there's interfaith to a degree where everyone finds their place and there's building and innovation and so many amazing things and saying, how do I determine what is realistic and what is helpful to envision? And how do I see what needs to be way off in the future and not really at the top of my mind right now? Yeah. Again, really you are filled with most excellent questions. <laughs> um, and I can't say that I have answers. I'm really glad that you were impacted by that Torah, as was I. It's the Torah of Rabbi Riskin. And I heard it first as an 18-year-old. And, um, and it stayed with me, and so I'm glad that it stayed with you, because I think that idea of what, do you, what are you dreaming about? Are you dreaming about being a successful professional, living in suburbia, having, right? Or are you saying, you're, which was basically Yaakov's dream, right? I have sheep. I have sheep <laughs> and a striped sheep and spotted sheep. Or I can have a ladder, and the ladder will connect, you know, there'll be some cycle where I feel the connection of of the ground to the earth. And I think in some way, if we can hold on to those two truths at the same time, when we say, have I become a little too suburban in my mm. tastes, right? Am I thinking enough? Um, one of my barometers uh, is, are you an interesting person? Mm. Right? What, what, what do you talk about when you get together with people? Is it about ideas? Is it about other people? Is it about things? We have lots of stuff. Um, and so in that sense, there's the leadership of the self. And I, I do want to talk about something you said, which is really important, really, and that is around, you know, advancing and the, the desire to do things. And then sometimes you feel, you know, I know lo alecham lechalig more, but I just I'm a perfectionist. I want to I want to get things done. I want them to be excellent, mm -hmm. and I'm beating myself up all the time. Uh, that voice of the inner critic is so so loud, and um, I struggle with this every day of my life. Right? Oh, I haven't done enough today. Right? Well, what's enough? I don't know. It's never enough. Right? So there's not a place where we say dayenu. Um, I would like I would like if I could make my own dictionary. I would take the word perfection out of it um, because I think when people set themselves up and they think that means I have an excellent standard what it really means is I, I, I cannot I cannot feel at peace with myself I can't mm. accomplish things and say I did something good you know again we're going back to Brashid I always go back to Brashid Akadosh Baruch Hu starts the world and he starts our book and he says it was good Right? looks at the world, it was good. And I think that's that's also part mm. of things. If you can't if you can't say it was good and the people you're leading let them know this was good, as opposed to saying, There's more we could do, let's drive on wow. And so That's you know, profound. That's really 
it's, it's, it's amazing. I was speaking with someone once and she was talking to me about how she loves to ask her friends, uh, you know, if you could have, your, what's your dream? And they'd speak about so many times. Uh, first of all, I think just two elements. One, I want to say, I want to get back to the other point about noticing that when things are good, acknowledge they're good and don't just disregard the difficulty that sometimes, are, that sometimes is encountered. But then the other thing that I wanted to mention as well is this, uh, and she was explaining that all of her friends would sometimes say, I'd love a house on the beach. And she said, but my family wouldn't be there. She said, wouldn't you want to be in Israel? But my family wouldn't be there. I'm talking dream, like ideal, perfect. If you could have anything. Um, and and that was really, really hit me very strongly. But I love your point also on noticing when things are good. Acknowledge things are good right now. You know, it's okay for things to be good. And it's also okay to say that things can be better. So I guess as we start to wrap up, I'm curious to hear what your message is. If we had 7 billion people listening to this podcast, they're like, I heard Dr. Brown's going to be here. We got to listen right now. What would be your message with regard to leadership that for every individual, every president, every leader of an organization, every artist, every photographer, anyone, everyone is listening. What would you say is your most important message on leadership that they should really try and, and think about and let their soul sit with and dance yeah. with and sing with? I mean, I, I don't. I, I wish I had that kind of wisdom, really. So thank you for, for asking me as if I did. But I would say instead of a statement, I think that all of great leadership comes down to a question. Mm. Are you growing others in your leadership? It was, if, if that's not the question, it's really about am I growing my own status, my own bank account, my own sense of privilege, my own sense of, of um, you know, of self-importance. But if you say, did I grow someone else today? That to me, that to me distinguishes spiritual leadership from every other kinds of leadership. Mm. Um, and that's really in some way the only kind of leadership that, that, that is important to me. Um, you know, if you're running a company, are people growing as, as a result of who you are when you're in a family? When you're in a classroom, right? So much leadership takes place in a classroom. If you're a teacher, are you growing other people? I, so I think that's that. It's not so much a message. Yeah. It's just keeping mindful of that question. And if you imagine you had that question, like on your computer or your front door or maybe even on your fridge, and you saw that question, and you said, "Oh, did I grow someone today?" Because it's not really about the big messages. The everyday sort of. It's the everyday sort of question mm. that we that we ask ourselves. Loving every step of the way to that ultimate vision. Yeah, and it's not an ultimate vision. It's an everyday vision. Wow. Right? Was, I don't know that some of the great leaders in our time were thinking, what am I going to accomplish across a lifetime? As much as saying, how do I squeeze out of this moment the kind of meaning that is necessary? And where am I taking other people to? Okay, that's that's amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown, Erica. Well, I really appreciate you. it. It's really a delight to be is, with you. Sorry. Uh, no worries. Uh, thank you so much, and love speaking with you. And have a great Shabbos. And thank yes, you for speaking with us. Yes, and Shabbat Tovah to you and to all of your listeners. May it be a year of wonderful leadership where we grow others and we celebrate others. Amen. Thanks so much. Julie. Bye.